Hi, I'm Joseph Feraldi. I want to thank you for joining us here at Bayside Chapel Online. Our prayer is that today's service will be a blessing to you, that it will encourage you in your journey with Jesus Christ, and it will help you to see all that God has in store for you. We would love to hear from you on how God is using this ministry to bless you, and we'd love the opportunity to pray for you. Just send us an email at amen at baysidechapel.org. Remember that you can stay in touch with us at any time. Just visit the App Store and search for our app at Bayside Chapel of NJ. Also, if God is using this ministry to bless you, we'd like to give you the opportunity to partner with us financially. Simply go online to BaysideChapel.org or use the Bayside Chapel app and choose whatever option works best for you. Enjoy today's message. Well, hey, listen, before we dive into the word, let's go to the Lord in prayer. Heavenly Father, we thank you that you are our Heavenly Father. Thank you for being the best dad anybody could ever ask for. Lord, for those of us in this room who've, been, um, who've had the privilege to have godly fathers, we thank you. And Lord, for those of us in this room who, uh, when this day comes upon us, it's a grievous day, um, whether because of an absent father, an abusive father, or just um, a poor uh, uh, relationship with a father. God, I pray that um, your, the reality of your love and your fatherhood would, um, would just compensate for the lack of love that uh, many have received um, from their fathers, their earthly fathers. We thank you for being our heavenly father who loves us unconditionally, who calls us his own, who adopts us as children by faith in Christ, who accepts us, and who says we're adequate. Lord, and thank you for the example that you set for us in teaching us and showing us how we can love those um, in our lives, whether it's our children, our spouses, or those that you've called us to, uh, to mentor and, and, and to guide, even within the church. God, may we always reflect the love that you have so graciously given to us and that you so graciously show to us morning after morning after morning. We love you, Lord. And it's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. So once upon a time, there was an incredible church that suddenly found itself in some trouble. The church was growing in number, but they were having some problems. See, a lot of the new people that were coming into the church came from different religious backgrounds and different cultural backgrounds, and this caused some tension. Right? The church members uh, began to resent a lot of these newcomers because their church was changing. And all of these newcomers were, uh, were feeling uh, left out and, and overlooked. So the pastors and the elders of the church were getting overwhelmed by the amount of needs to be met, the amount of tasks that had to be done. And as a result, people were falling through the cracks. There were some legitimate needs that were getting missed. And it was a time of conflict, a very tense time. And the future of this church seemed uncertain. So what was this church supposed to do? What were they called to do? Now, the church I'm describing might sound like a bayside in the past. It might sound like the church you grew up in. It might sound like the church you came from. 
Uh, In fact, it sounds like lots of churches that we have experience with. But the church I'm talking about here is much older than Bayside, much older than any of the other churches that we came from. In fact, it's the oldest of churches. It's the first church, the church that we read about in the New Testament. So we're going to begin this morning in Acts chapter 6. Acts chapter 6, where we read about this early church facing these growing pains. And we're not moving out of our study in 1 Timothy. We're going to jump into that passage later, but we're just understanding the historical foundation that the Timothy passage builds upon. So we're going to be jumping between both uh, Acts chapter 6 and 1 Timothy chapter 3. So Acts chapter 6, let's jump right in. Verse 1. Dr. Luke writes, uh, he wrote uh, the Gospel of Luke and he wrote Acts and he's documenting for us and here's what he tells us. Verse 1 of Acts chapter 6, he says, Now in these days, when the disciples were increasing in number, a complaint by the Hellenists arose against the Hebrews because their widows were being neglected in the daily distribution. So just understanding some of the historical background here, it's only been a short while since Jesus uh, had resurrected and then had ascended into heaven uh, to be by the Father. And the disciples were filled with the Holy Spirit and they were empowered by him to bring the life-changing message of the gospel to everybody who would listen, to both Jews and Gentiles. And here we see that God is causing the church to grow. He's causing growth. Jesus was fulfilling his promise to build the church. He said, I will build my church. And Jesus is making good on that promise. But the church started experiencing some problems, some issues, some of these growing pains. People started complaining. Now, can you imagine that? People in the church complaining. We're so glad that doesn't happen here. So, but here's the situation. There's a, there's a group of Greek-speaking Jews who were known as the Hellenists. They were complaining about the Hebrew-speaking Jews because the Greek-speaking widows were being uh, shorted in their provisions of food, the daily provisions of food. See, for a long time, the Hebrew-speaking Jews looked down on the Greek-speaking Jews. They didn't view them as, as Jewish as the Hebrew-speaking Jews. So they considered them second-class citizens, not as, not as Jewish as the others. And this prejudice carried over into the church. And word spreads to the apostles. We see verse 2. It says, And the twelve... The 12 apostles summoned the full number of the disciples. They gathered the whole church and they said, it is not right that we should give up preaching the word of God to serve tables. So the apostles recognize that this is a pretty serious situation. And so they call a congregational meeting. Apparently, uh, someone was there who had suggested that the apostles who were serving as the pastors and elders of the church, that they are the ones that were supposed to get involved and help divvy up the provisions for the widows and, and to wait on tables. After all, Jesus was the one who washed their feet, right? The least the apostles could do is set a, a plate before a hungry widow. But the apostles knew what their mission was. They knew their mission was preaching the word and they understood that they had limits, They couldn't do it all. God created them with limits. God wants them to take a 24-hour period of of Sabbath every week. So so they were limited to what they could do. So they recognized their own inability to serve every person and meet every need. So what do they do? Verse 3. Therefore, brothers, they say, pick out from among you seven men of good repute, full of the spirit and of wisdom, whom we will appoint to this duty. But we will devote ourselves to prayer. Into the ministry of the word. 
So instead of neglecting their responsibilities of prayer, instead of neglecting their responsibility to study the Bible and to prepare their sermons and to preach, the apostles decided to make the saints part of the solution, right? They allowed the congregation to choose amongst themselves seven men of impeccable character. They call men full of the spirit and of wisdom. Now, do you see what these early church leaders are doing? They're delegating spiritual leadership to spiritually mature people. They're delegating leadership to those who are spiritually mature. In essence, what they're doing is they're identifying among the saints those servants who are qualified and willing to get their hands dirty in serving others and meeting needs. And the apostles are identifying these faithful servants and they're putting them in positions of leadership. You see, these seven men that were appointed to this task became known as the first deacons. This is, this is the, the birth of, when, when, anytime you hear the word deacon, this is where it started in Acts chapter 6. So these deacons were able to address the issue of the overlooked widows. They were able to serve the needs of the people, needs that would have otherwise gone unmet because the elders and pastors were paying attention and focusing on the, that which God had called them to, the ministries God had called them to, to serve and to lead. And for the last 2,000 years, God continues to raise up godly people, godly deacons to serve in his church. In fact, the very word deacon means one who serves. If you translated the word deacon, the Greek word deacon, were, um, literally it means one who serves or servants. And many of you probably come from churches that have a deacon board. Um, oftentimes a deacon board um, in some denominational uh, backgrounds, the deacon board looks a lot different than we see in the New Testament. In some churches, deacon boards actually serve as an elder board, but they are very different things. And while we don't have an official deacon board here at Bayside, like we do an elder board, we nevertheless identify deacon qualified people to lead out in service and to, to lead certain ministries. We look for those people who live to serve others. So what this episode in Acts 6 teaches us, along with 1 Timothy 3, 8 through 13, where we're going to look in a little bit, is simply this. The best church leaders live to serve. The best church leaders are those who live to serve. The same way Jesus came not to be served, but to serve others, God has blessed Bayside with some incredible church leaders who live to serve. Now, we're going to digress here for a moment because there's a question that begs to be asked. Hasn't God called every believer to live a life of servanthood? And the answer to that is yes, absolutely he has. Our lives are to be lived from a posture of, of humble servanthood. And God has certainly called every single believer to serve within a ministry of the church in some way, shape, or form. But so, so when you read the Bible and when you come across this word deacon, I simply want you to think of those who, who lead the church in service, right? So you could think of the elders as the servant leaders, and you could think of deacons as the leading servants, one of the best 
the distinctions I ever heard, and that stuck with me. Elders are, are like the servant leaders of the church, and the deacons are the leading servants, right? They're the men and women, and I say women because if you look in Romans 16, um, the very beginning of Romans 16, Paul writes about uh, Phoebe, um, a deaconess, a female deacon who led in the church. So one, deacons are the men and women who excel in modeling servanthood. So whereas God has called elders to be responsible for things like prayer and the pulpit ministry and the uh, oversight and management and leadership of the church, God raises up deacons to lead out in specific areas of ministry and service. So our ministry leaders, for example, are considered deacons in their official capacities here at Bayside. Some of them uh, will be on the screen behind me. We have Tiffany Stoltzfus. She's our children's ministry director, right? She leads in service to our children, ensuring that everything they're taught is centered around the gospel. She leads teaching our children, your grandchildren, the importance of following Jesus and keeping him center. We have Marcus Duckworth, our tech director, right? He leads in service, ensuring that the gospel message that's preached, that it's, that's preached here, that it's seen and heard and understood not only by everybody in this room, but everybody watching online. And then everybody who watches our YouTube, our, our videos on YouTube and, and wherever the interweb takes those videos. We have Kyleen, who's our youth director. She leads in service to our youth. She keeps them centered on the gospel. She keeps them focused on their identity in Christ when everybody else is trying to teach the teens to shape and form their identity around everything and anything but Christ. We have Jared March, our congregational care chaplain. He leads in service to provide so many of the tangible needs that, ri that, that arise in the congregation, whether it's a need for, for meals, for visitation, for some kind of chaplaincy, it, it, so many tangible ways that needs are met. Then we have Nicole Giverson, our nursery coordinator. She leads in service to our tiniest and cutest worshipers. She provides a safe and godly atmosphere for them to, to grow in, and so we're not stressed out when we're in here listening to the gospel. We're not thinking about the safety of our, of our children. See, aside from these five beautiful people, there are so many others who serve in a deacon-like way at Bayside, even though they might not hold an official office, right? And they serve all throughout the church. Everything that happens here is led by people like this, whether it's leading the welcome team, whether it's serving on the pastoral search committee, whether it's guiding the wonderfully made ministry or organizing the women's ministry or arranging a Christ-magnifying time of music and praise and worship or interceding on behalf of the saints through the prayer ministry that happens even right now while I'm preaching, there's a group of people praying in the prayer room for us. Whether it's ensuring the building is functioning and in tip-top shape, we're blessed to have so many people who lead out in service. And even as I look around this room, I see so many of you who lead out this way. And I personally want to say thank you. Thank you for leading this way. Thank you for setting the example for so many of the other saints. Thank you. Thank you for allowing the pastors time to dive into the word and study scripture. Thank you that it's great knowing that I could put my phone on do not disturb and, and just be in the word for eight hours 
working on, on studying the scripture and, and seeking God for how he wants me to communicate the, the word to you. And that's not only true of me, that's true of all the pastors and elders. The best church leaders live to serve. See, these are the servants who set out an example for the rest of the church body to follow. So there might be dozens of people in this room right now who God may one day call to be a leading servant this way. Because for a church to be healthy, for a church to be effective and efficient, there must always be church leaders who live to serve. So there are often two common questions about deacons. The two questions are, what do deacons do? And what must deacons be? Those two questions are actually answered in our two passages that we're looking at. See, in fact, in Acts 6, in that passage uh, we looked at, it showed us at least three tasks of a deacon. Three tasks of a deacon. And we can even refer to these as three tasks of a servant, since really they're things every believer should aspire to. So three highlights, and then we're going to jump into 1 Timothy 3. Here's the first task of these leading servants, and that's this. They serve the saints by meeting needs according to Scripture. They serve the saints by meeting needs according to Scripture. Right, so in the Acts passage we just read, you notice that there was a specific need that arose. There was a need to ensure that all the widows were being appropriately cared for. And it was in response to this need that the ministry of the deacons was formed. So the people were aware that God commanded them to take up the cause of the orphan and to defend the rights of the widow. And it was God's commandments, it was scripture that led these servants to step up and to administer care to the widows. And what a privilege it is to be a pastor of a congregation filled with saints who faithfully serve each other according to scripture. I watch, it's so encouraging to watch as so many of you will assemble to help each other when a brother's house catches on fire, for example. Or as you gather uh, meals for a family facing um, some serious health challenges, or as you provide groceries for the couple in your small group who, who are experiencing some really difficult financial challenges, or as you help that single mom with tasks that would otherwise never get done because there's no man in the house to help her, or as you embrace one another and journey through the time of need, whatever the need may be, with that fellow believer. The best leaders serve the saints by meeting needs according to scripture. Not only do they serve the saints, though, because here's the second task of these leading servants. They serve the elders by supporting the preaching of scripture. They, support, they serve the elders by supporting the preaching of scripture. So what we observed in Acts chapter 6 is that the deacons not only met needs according to scripture, they also enabled the elders to focus on their leadership responsibilities, summarized in Acts 6 as prayer and the ministry of the word. See, if the pastors and elders can't devote their time to the tasks God has given them, if they're always being pulled every which direction to attend to this need or to that need, as important and necessary as those needs might be, it's eventually going to cause the mission of the church to suffer. It's going to get fuzzy. We need to remember that the preaching of the gospel is what sets the church apart. It's what gives the church its identity. If there's no gospel being preached, it's not a church. 
Understand that if it's no gospel being preached, it's not a church. It may look like a church, but it ain't a church. A church that's focused only on serving needs is not a church. A church that's focused only on social justice issues is not a church. A church that's focused only on feeding people is a food pantry, not a church. What sets the church apart is the proclamation of the gospel. Read the Bible. See the Bible. Sing the Bible. Speak the Bible. That's what sets a church apart. This is why we, anybody standing up here preaching, this is why we take very seriously our sermon prep, our time of studying the scripture. This is why we'll spend 30 to 40 hours in a week pouring over a passage of scripture, understanding it, seeking God for how he wants us to communicate it, trying to structure it to, to make sense so, so you guys can make sense of, of the passage and apply it to your lives. I think Dr. Donald Barnhouse was right when he said this. He said, no man is ever going to be able to fill the pulpit adequately unless he spends thousands of hours year after year in the study of God's word. So thank you to those who enable the pastors to do this. Thank you. Now, I want you to understand here that the implication here isn't that waiting on tables or, or serving tangible needs are somehow below the elders. That's not what the scripture is getting at here. Please uh, don't hear what scripture is not saying. Rather, what we see here is the balance that God intends for the church, right? He calls some to be fully devoted to the word and he calls other to serve the needs of the world, right? They're, they're both important. It's a both and, it's not an either or proposition. That's uh, why in the original language in Acts chapter six, there's actually a play on words. Literally, here's what the apostles say. They say, it's not right that we should give up preaching the word of God to deacon tables, but we will devote ourselves to prayer and to deaconing the word, right? So the same way some of the, le the leading servants here served the tables, deacon the tables, is the same way that pastors, elders serve the word. It just looks different. Listen to the way one commentator put this passage. He said, read hastily, this might seem rather callous. Do the apostles lack concern for the welfare of the vulnerable? Are they elevating spiritual ministry above practical ministry? No. By prioritizing scripture and prayer, the apostles are choosing to stay focused on the whole church's spiritual welfare, even as they affirm the physical needs. In fact, they recognize a fundamental truth. A church whose ministers are chained to the tyranny of the urgent is a church removing its heart to strengthen its arm. This strategic, strategic division of labor was a sign of strength in the first church and it signals strength in churches today. And thank God that we can say with joy, Bayside Chapel is a healthy, strong church. Yeah. Amen. The best leaders serve the saints by meeting needs according to scripture. They serve the elders by the supporting the preaching of the scripture. And here's the third task, is they serve the church by unifying the body around scripture. They serve the church by unifying the body around scripture. 
right? So in Acts 6, you had the physical neglect of these Greek-speaking widows, and that was causing spiritual disunity. It was causing division. And as a result, the saints were starting to complain about each other. So the installation of the deacons not only served to meet those needs, it not only served to make sure the widows didn't get overlooked, but it also served to squelch whatever rising tension uh, was bubbling up in the midst of the congregation. See, the evil one knows that the most ineffective churches are those churches that, one, don't preach the gospel. He doesn't have to worry. Satan doesn't have to worry about those churches. They ain't doing anything effective. And two, he knows that the most ineffective churches are the churches that are distracted by division and disunity. So in light of the task that was entrusted to the first deacons and the conflict that it was meant to solve, it's clear that the best church leaders are those servants who muffle those shockwaves of complaining and grumbling. They serve as the shock absorbers in the church. To quote one scholar, he said, the best deacons are far more than business managers or handymen. They're believers with fine-tuned conflict radars. They love solutions more than drama and rise to respond in creatively constructive ways to promote the harmony of the whole. So what was the result then of this newly formed ministry of the deacons? Look at verse 7 of Acts 6. It says, And the word of God continued to increase, and the number of disciples multiplied greatly in Jerusalem, and a great many of the priests became obedient to the faith. See, the result of the elders remaining focused on the responsibilities to which God had called them, coupled with these new leaders being developed and commissioned, was one of increased gospel impact. It multiplied the ministry of the gospel as people experienced the preaching of the gospel alongside the gospel's tangible uh, and practical uh, serving servanthood effects. They grew convinced of the truth of Jesus and people were added to their number. They were saved. So Acts 6 answers for us the question, what do deacons do? And we identified those three tasks. But we still have another question to answer. Who's qualified to serve as deacons? Right? What must deacons be? Well, in Acts 6, we saw that these men were to be of good repute, full of the spirit and of wisdom. But what Paul does in 1 Timothy 3 is he helps us by detailing for Timothy four categories of qualifications. And there's a lot of overlap between some of the deacons' responsibilities and qualifications and then um, also the qualifications of, the elder, of elders that we looked at last week. So these leading servants are to exhibit at least four marks. And what are these four marks of a servant? 1 Timothy 3, 8 through 13 highlights these four marks. Look at verse 8. 1 Timothy 3, 8. Paul says, deacons likewise, because he just got done talking about elders, so he's saying, now deacons likewise must be dignified, not double-tongued, not addicted to much wine, not greedy for dishonest gain. So the first mark of a deacon, the first mark of a a leading servant, is simply personal integrity. They're marked by personal integrity. These leading servants must be dignified, as Paul says, meaning their lives are to be honorable, 
They're to be respectable, right? They're not double-tongued. They're not deceitful in speech. They're not saying one thing and doing another thing. They're not saying one thing to one person and then saying something contradictory to another person. Neither are they people who are drunk on wine or money. Deacons are to be people of high moral character, honest, and trustworthy in their communication. And as with the deacons, Every single saint should strive for these things, should strive for honesty and integrity in their speech and actions, right? Not only the one hour we see each other on a Sunday morning, but the other 167 hours of the week. May it be said of every saint in Bayside that we are people who are marked by personal integrity. It goes on in verse 9. He says, They must hold the mystery of the faith with a clear conscience. So deacons are marked by personal integrity, and verse 9 shows us a second mark. They are marked by biblical literacy. Deacons are marked by biblical literacy. So when Paul tells Timothy that these leading servants of the church must hold to the mystery of the faith, he's saying that these people must be men and women who have a firm grasp on Scripture. They must understand the gospel. They, They possess the revealed truth, of the gospel of the Christian faith and they have a strong understanding and commitment to communicating or to expressing that gospel message. They're well-versed in Christian doctrine and they can articulate their faith with a clear conscience. Keep in mind, however, that unlike uh, elders, deacons don't have to be able to teach. That's one of the requirements uh, for elder that we looked at last week. Though they're not required to be able to teach, though these leading servants must understand and hold on to the good news of the gospel that Christ Jesus died on the cross for their sins. So again, may this also serve as a reminder to every saint in this room of the importance of studying scripture, the importance of understanding the the core doctrines, the essentials, the fundamentals of the Christian faith, trusting Jesus to live his life through us so that our actions are in alignment with our beliefs and with our words. Paul goes on in verse 10. He says, and let them also be tested first. Then let them serve as deacons if they prove themselves blameless. Right? So the ones leading the church in service ought to be marked by personal integrity. They ought to be marked by biblical literacy. And here we see the third marked is they are marked by spiritual maturity. They're marked by spiritual maturity. When Paul says that deacons must also be tested first and must prove themselves, Paul's here talking about a testing of reputation, right? Not, not like a formal written test. This is a testing of reputation that these leading servants must be observed to be spiritually mature. They must be known among the saints, right? We don't just throw someone into a position of leadership because they talk a big game, because they yap a lot. We don't just throw someone into a position of leadership because of whatever positions of leadership they held at another church. And we certainly don't just throw someone into a position of leadership because they give a lot. That's not how this works. We're to be strategic and intentional with those we appoint to lead and serve this way. There has to be sufficient time given to be able to examine and assess the character of the person and their qualities and qualifications. This is why in Acts 6, the apostles instructed the early church to find these seven men of good reputation full of the Holy Spirit and of wisdom. 
Paul goes on in verses 11 and 12. He says, their wives likewise must be dignified, not slanderers, but sober-minded, faithful in all things. Let deacons each be the husband of one wife, managing their children in their own households well. So the ones leading in service to the church are to be marked by personal integrity, by biblical literacy, by spiritual maturity, and here we see the fourth mark, and that's relational health. They're marked by relational health. Now, in the ESV, um, which is the translation that we preach from, it says, the wording of the ESV of verse 11 says, their wives likewise. When you read that, you think they're talking about the wives of, of the deacons, they just talked about. Um, but in, in Koine Greek, which is the first century Greek that the New Testament was written in, there's no pronoun for there. Um, and any t- oftentimes when Paul uses the, that word likewise, it means he's introducing something new. So literally what it, it, it says here, it says um, women likewise must be dignified. It doesn't actually say their wives. Um, most other English translations will say women. Um, and because the, the word for wives is also the same Greek word for women. So Paul here, there, there's good reason to believe then, along with the fact of Phoebe in Romans 16, that God calls women into these, le- into these uh, positions of, of leading servants as well. So like the men, the women are also to be held to the same standards of personal integrity and biblical literacy and spiritual maturity. They're not to be slanderers or gossips, right? Getting sidetracked by complaints or rumors or divisive conversations. And for both men and women, if they have families, it should be observable that they lead their families well, that they manage their household, that they lead their children in godly and gracious ways. Much like the way Lydia did. Lydia is another woman that we see in Acts chapter 16. She was a believer and she was a businesswoman and she demonstrated hospitality and good management of her household when she opened up her home to Paul and his companions to provide for them, to champion the cause of the church and likely even to help fund some of the early missionary journeys. So our leading servants at Bayside, our ministry directors and others are those who are marked by these four things. They're those who are marked by personal integrity, those who are marked by biblical literacy, those who are marked by spiritual maturity, and those who are marked by relational health. And there's a great reward for those who serve in this capacity. Look at verse 13. Paul says, for those who serve well as deacons, gain a good standing for themselves and also great confidence in the faith that is in Christ Jesus. So there's a twofold reward for these servants. There's a reward before men and there's a reward before God. They gain a good standing for themselves before those whom they serve, right? That's their reward before men. They're going to earn the respect of the church. They're going to have some influence, positive influence with the congregation. So that's their reward there. But then there's also the reward from God. And the reward from God is that they get to grow in their confidence in the gospel, right? They experience that ever-deepening joy and confidence that comes from drawing close to Christ 
That is a natural byproduct of being someone of, uh, of a deep personal integrity and someone who's always in the scripture and someone who's growing in Christ-likeness and someone who just learns to live moment by moment more and more on absolute dependence in Christ. These are people that experience that ever-deepening confidence from the Lord. So church, the truth of the scriptures before us this morning is that the best church leaders live to serve. Church leader or not, though, God calls every single one of us to live a life of servanthood. So don't wait. Don't delay. As I look around this room, I see so many who serve so faithfully. But maybe you have yet to to step up and serve. Maybe you have no idea how the Lord has gifted you for service. Start somewhere. Start somewhere. If you don't like it, try something else. It's really that easy. And if you want to get involved and want to serve, you can go into the Bayside Chapel app. There's actually a little serve button on there. It will show you uh, some of the different ministries you could get involved in. Um, So definitely check that out. But I want to close with a poem. And my prayer is that the poem would not be true of any person in this room. Listen, you'll understand. The poem goes like this. I'll go where you want me to go, dear Lord. Real service is what I desire. I'll say what you want me to say, dear Lord, but don't ask me to sing in the choir. I'll say what you want me to say, dear Lord. I like to see things come to pass, but don't ask me to teach anywhere, dear Lord. I'd much rather stay in my class. I'll give what you want me to give, dear Lord. I yearn for the kingdom to thrive. I'll give you some pennies or nickels, dear Lord, but please don't ask me to tithe. I'll read what you want me to read, dear Lord, if genealogy isn't implied. I never did like to search books, dear Lord, for names of people who've died. I'll go where you want me to go, dear Lord. Yes, I'll go most anywhere, but I've got too many tasks to do, dear Lord, to go down to Welfare Square. Yes, I'll go where you want me to go, dear Lord. I'll say what you want me to say. I'm busy just now with myself, dear Lord. I'll help you some other day. Let's pray. A Father, on behalf of the pastors and elders, I, I, I thank you so much for all of those leading servants you've, you've called to Bayside. Lord, thank you for our ministry directors, for everybody who, who, who leads others in, in service, um, whether that's serving the, the saints by meeting needs, whether that's supporting the elders in, in their preaching uh, of the word, Lord, or whether, uh, God, whether that uh, just uh, looks like bringing unity and, and fostering harmony amongst the saints. Lord, we thank you for these men and women. And God, thank you that the Lord Jesus set for us, the prime example of what servanthood looks like, how he came not to be served, but to serve. Lord, and how he demonstrated his heart of service by washing the disciples' feet the night before he was executed. And Lord, how even his his voluntary journey to the cross was an ultimate act of servanthood. 
Lord, may we reflect the servanthood of Jesus. Because if anybody had any claim to not have to serve others, it's the God of the universe. And yet, you turned all of that upside down by sending your son. We thank you. Lord, enable us to allow you the space to live your life in and through us, that you would serve through us, that you would meet needs of people through us, that we would be an incredible reflection of the truth of the gospel. Thank you that you call us your children. And Lord, for those of us who may have just been failing in this regard, Lord, we acknowledge the reality of your grace, the reality of that your mercies are new every morning. And Lord, I pray that um, you would put it on the hearts of those who have yet to, uh, to step up in, in, in that capacity, Lord, and, and Lord, that you would lead them to whatever ministry you might be calling them to serve in. God, thank you that you, by the Holy Spirit in and through us, call us all to a life of service and that you do mighty, incredible things in and through us despite ourselves, despite our past, despite our failures, despite our mistakes, despite our frailty. God, that's all a testimony of your greatness. We love you, Jesus. And we acknowledge that because you are living and breathing, Jesus. We have nothing to fear, nothing to worry about, and we can face the week ahead with confidence and boldness because you live. All God's children said, amen.